you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 72 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey guys, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode and thank you for your prayers. I am so excited about this interview with Dean Taylor on what it looks like to follow Jesus. Dean is currently the president at Sattler College in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's published several books, most notably A Change of Allegiance. Before entering college, Dean served as a sergeant in the U.S. Army stationed in Germany and was there serving during the fall of the Berlin Wall. He's married to his wife, Tanya, and his father to three sons and three daughters. And this is definitely an interview that you don't want to miss. Guys, if you're blessed by this episode, I really want to encourage you to leave a rating and review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, which will help others find interviews like this so much easier. I also want to let you know that every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on my YouTube channel, I'm going to be doing a verse-by-verse walkthrough of the book of Philippians And that's going to be live, so you can participate in the chat as well. So I want to encourage you to go there. I'll have a link to my YouTube channel in the show notes as well. So you can go there and check out those Bible studies every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, All my resources, book, blog, music, Patreon account, all that stuff you can find on my website, Phil S. Baker. Well, I am blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about what we talk about here on Reclaiming the Faith or anything on the Fourth Watch or Omega Frequency, please, I want to encourage you to go ahead and email me at email Phil S. Baker, or you can write into BDK at, um, at his website, omegafrequency.com, and we'll be sure to to answer those questions on Ready With An Answer every month. All right, so the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can buy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Well, without any Further ado, I want to get into part one of my interview with Dean Taylor on how to follow Jesus and make sure to look in the show notes for links to Sattler College and how to also purchase his book, A Change of Allegiance. Here we go. All right. Well, Dean Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Man, this is just a great blessing for me, man. Hey, man. It's great to be here. I do appreciate it. Awesome, man. Well, uh, will you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. Tell about myself. Uh, So, my name is Dean Taylor. Um, I I say this, and I don't mean it light. I don't mean it just flippantly. I really am a sinner saved by grace. Mm. Um, 
I'm a follower of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Um, and that really does define, you know, the, the basics of who I am. I, I live day by day by grace and thank the Lord for his salvation in my life. Um, I'm just amazed to be one of, uh, a child of God. Mm. Um, well, amen for that. If you want to go, I've also, I guess one thing in my life I've been very blessed with is, um, I have been surrounded by amazing people mm. and, um, I've just ridden a lot of hotels in my life and, and been around amazing people that still work in, you know, help me, bless me. And, um, I just, I just treasure that. Um, some of the basics, um, I'm a husband, married my high school sweetheart. I've been married about 32 years and Tanya Taylor, she's a, just an amazing mother, wonderful wife, lover. Uh, she's a great mother. It's incredible. I have six amazing children. Um, two grandchildren. And I, I've just, I haven't deserved the, the love and the devotion they give me. Uh, they're followers of Christ and um, much more than I deserve of seeing them now come. Four of them are actually in, in the college with me at Sadler College, and that's been a tremendous blessing. Praise God. Um, I'm a brother here in the local church, uh, followers of the way, and I've been here. I've lived in Boston now for a year, and that's interesting to see such commitment, such dedication. To evangelism and living the kingdom life here in Boston, and I've been uh, just really blessed with that. Um, I, I also work with um, um, some other people. Uh, I work with the, the refugees on Lesbos Island, um, and so I'm still heavily involved with the ministry there. Uh, and just uh, just 30 minutes ago, I saw a fire broke out in Camp Moria. It's just terrible, and been working with the, the, the Muslims that have come to there and doing that. I hate to wear out the word, but some amazing brothers at Mine Road Mennonite Church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and then also Christian ministry. And, and, and with those two organizations, um, doing church planting through Mine Road and also doing um, um, the, the refugee biblical discipleship work um, through ministry. And it's, it's a tremendous work. Over there, there's two amazing young couples, uh, Nathaniel uh, Yoder and his family and Randall and Althea are also um, just an amazing job over there. It's been great. I love, I love working with them. So I'm now um, the president of Sattler College. What, I guess maybe we'll talk about that later, but that's been uh, such an amazing <laughs> uh, opportunity in my life and being a part of all these people around here has been, has been great. Um, I'm working on my doctoral. Uh, I'm working on my doctorate degree in historical theology um, at Evangelical Seminary in in uh, Pennsylvania, and that's been a really interesting experience. I've been there now um, about a year into that, and that's been that's been nice. Um, I, so I think you mentioned I, I uh, wrote a book, Change of Allegiance, and that's done. That was a good thing in my, my life to kind of um, help put my thinking on paper. Uh, that's done surprisingly well. It was translated into Romanian, Spanish, Arabic, and they're working on Hebrew and Persian right mm. now. And so that's been, um, yeah, that's been uh, a fun experience. It's opened up a lot of doors. My wife was very helpful and, and, 
and she's she edits everything that's important. Uh, she gets <laughs> mad at me when I send emails out from the college saying, you know, a college president shouldn't have so many misspelled words. I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway, she helped me with that. And that was a, a big project. And she was amazing, always is amazing, helping me with that. So, you know, I spend, the, I spend my days trusting in the grace of God for myself, for our college, for the ministries, for my family. And, I, and we try trying to put the teachings of Jesus into practice in this generation. And so by the grace of God. So, Amen. Well, uh, would you mind telling me a little bit about how you came to know Jesus? Mm. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up in Texas. My wife and I um, were in Texas, a little bit of a Bible Belt thing there. Yep. Um, very nice home. My parents very supportive. You know, they, it was kind of a nominal Methodist church that we grew up in, but my, my parents were... Um, just great parents, still are, both alive. Um, but I guess one of the things that really marked me early on, a friend of mine at school had brought me to the Baptist church and coming under a preaching of a man named Dennis Ball, who just really loved his Bible. I mean, I remember he would take us and, you know, do you believe the Bible? Every word of God is true. And mm-hmm. I, I think that made an impression on my life, um, young, um, him just talking about and, and preaching the Bible excuse me, with such confidence. And I, I, I think that probably really marked my life. I, I walked an aisle. Um, uh, Robert Morris was the evangelist. He's a big okay. guy now in yeah, Dallas. Um, absolutely. Yeah. He was, uh, we were just on a, a choir trip down to, um, oh, uh, what's Padre Island. Okay. He was our leading our, our choir trip and um, responded to a message. I used to kind of dog that whole walking of the aisle thing out. And, and I don't think my, I had a mature faith, but certainly it was a decision in my life to, to, you know, um, it meant something. And Tanya, my wife has gotten on to me sometimes when she reads our, our early letters or something like that. Said, you know, Dean, I think there was more to that than you give credit. And I, I, so I, I've tried to give more credit to that. Um, and so I've been blessed. I've been blessed that to make some of those decisions. Um, so we joined the army. Um, my, I joined the army, um, and there uh, we started. Um, I joined it very patriotically. I I was you know God and country kind of guy. I've always been sort of a patriotic kind of person, mm. and like my dad taking us to the Alamo and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it was, man. I mean that, that meant a lot to me. So joining the army, I did it passionately. And also we were musicians. My wife and I are musicians. We were in the army band, and. And so I was in several bands, in a regular band and in a rock band. And the rock band part of it was Army Rock Band. It's my job. It's what your tax dollars are paying for. So this <laughs> rock band, uh, they, it started affecting our lifestyle. It was, and it showed that I had this kind of really superficial kind of American lifestyle. Um, and it was not, not blaming anybody but myself. And then since we knew these songs and stuff, I'd... I'd start playing a few, you know, games of, oh, I'm not going to sing this Rush song or this Guns N' Roses song and, mm. you know, this and that. And eventually just the lifestyle, we started playing in bars and things and it was really wearing us down and realizing I just had a very compromising, superficial Christianity. Mm. Um, and I found a book. <laughs> I found a book at the PX. It's like an uh, army Walmart. Um, 
and it was the story of Keith Green. Okay. And uh, it was a big, thick book. I never read back then. Never. And it was this big, thick book. With, you've seen the old 80s versions, him with a big you know, afro. Yeah. And I said, told my wife, I said, I think I'm going to read this book. She looked at me and she said, like, you're not going to read that book. <laughs> and so I read it and I was captivated. And the name of the book was No Compromise. And the message of a man of God just totally devoted to Jesus Christ radically, you know, nothing hold back. And I was like, wow, yeah. now that's Christianity. Yeah. That's where I want to live my life. And we were, um, we were in a hotel room um, up in North Germany on a rock tour um, up there. And it was just this thing called Fosching. The Germans do it. It's like a Mardi Gras thing. And it was just wickedness was everywhere. And we just said, you know, we're going to either give this fake Christianity stuff up, or we're going to serve him without compromise. And we kneeled down in that hotel room in Muchen Gladbach, North Germany. Yeah. It must be close to 25, 30 years ago. And just, and just gave our life with, was surrendered our life to Jesus Christ and said, no compromise. Mm. Um, and with that, uh, we got up from our knees from there, you know, not, not any, uh, you know, big, Sirens went off for everything, but if I look in our life, that the, the really decisions to to follow him and be completely um, sold out to him, I, I really think it goes to that. And we became followers of Jesus, and it kind of played out. You know, it still is. I, I guess just trying to trying to be a follower of him and serve him. Yeah, yeah. So um, as you began began to question. Uh, the approach of the military that they had, like this this blending of mm. uh, Christianity and militarism, that mm-hmm. you know almost go hand in hand in in some areas of the country, right? Yeah. Like to be yeah. patriotic yeah. is to be a fully devoted follower yeah. of Jesus in terms of yeah. like a, a really wanting to serve in the military. Like, what caused you to begin to question that decision? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I guess one of the um, <laughs> One of the things was, you know, when we got back from that no compromise event and moment in our life, Mm. um, we started reading the Bible. Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, When first when I came in the army, my wife was a civilian. She came over. We were thinking we're going to be an army career. We had this great, you know, musician job, and so she ends up um, going to basic training and leaving from Germany to America. And joining the army, mm. while I was while she was in basic training, I was able to visit Berlin Wall with my parents. My my parents visited, and we went, and it was really intimidating. So, it was 1988, and you know, it's very Cold War, Constantina wire, Russian and East German communist guards pointing, you know, guns everywhere, and it was really intimidating. Those days, there was you know, a West Berlin and East Berlin and a West German, and you had to go through like a long. 100 kilometer corridor of of even getting uh to east berlin so anyway we're over there it was very intimidating and very you know wow Mm. but then my wife got out of the army i'm excuse me my wife got out of basic training and we visited again and now it's november of 1989 and i'm there and we're there literally at the berlin wall when it was coming down and it was such one of those moments. You know, you walk up and there's like this orange glow and people are chipping away at it and cheering and hollering and there's these holes in the wall. And and I remember these these uh, German guards, East German guards and Russian guards were, were putting their hands through the wall screaming, Bruder and Frieden. And, 
And, um, you know, you're realizing you're at a historic moment. You know, it's like, it's kind of like the coronavirus here now. It's, you're realizing you're in a moment that's going to be remembered. And I guess, you know, when I was there, something clicked. And it was like, so what changed? Why could a year ago, a year ago, I could have been called on to shoot this guy, yeah. and now he's trying to kiss me through a hole in the wall, right? And and because a few leaders said that my enemy can now become my friend, hmm. so that was kind of got me thinking. I think that was even before, yeah, it would have been before the um, Mutant Gladbach moment. So now later we're we're having all that, and and she's coming, and we're. Uh, uh, She's coming back, and, and we're starting to read the Bible, and and we're and we would get excited. We get in bed, it's okay. Let me read this. I mean, no compromise. We get our Bible and say, "All right, the Bible says this. Let's put it into practice. No compromise. Bible says this. Let's put it into practice. No compromise." You know, yeah. And it was, it was great times, and I never forget <clears throat> the moment. Um, I said, "Okay, I, I I want you to okay stop what you're doing. I want you to hear this one." And I, I remember the uh, I had one of those little pillows, you know, bed pillows, and she's sitting over there. I said, "Okay, I want you to get this." And I started to read to her from the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know, it's like I never, of course, I'd read it, I guess, before then. But um, it's, it was kind of like there was a seriousness of taking the Word of God seriously or this this thing of taking the Word of God seriously. And and so I looked at her and I read that, you know, about loving your enemies and praying mm. for those who persecute you and, and you know, and all this. And, and I'm reading to her. I said, so what do you think of that? And she just looked up to me and said, well, yeah, it seems pretty easy. seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Mm. I said, yeah, it is simple. And I said, that's, that's the problem. We're in the army. Um, and it's not so simple mm. now. And so to make a real long story short, it, we then I said, okay, I've got to deal with this, though, because of our commitment to no compromise. And I started reading through the whole Sermon on the Mount, and I started, look at this. You got the permanence of marriage. You've got this uh, strong views on swearing of oaths. You've got the um, the radical views of economics. You've got um, the non-resistance. You've got all these 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 things. And if you were to take it, hit me. If you were to take, if you were to go out of your way and to create for yourself a church that purposely did everything opposite that Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh no you'd kind of end up with the modern American church. And I was like, that's a problem, you know? And so I said, okay, I, I remember my no compromise banner from Keith Green is like over my head. So I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to deal with this. So I went and talked to the chaplain and I said, okay, I'm, I'm struggling. And um, he gave me a book on the just war theory. And before I read that book, I think I was a little bit okay that the theologians have got this thing figured out. You know, they've been doing this for a while and, I'll read their reasons and get it. Yeah. And I got to the end of that book and I was like, these are terrible reasons. Yeah. These, and, and these are the reasons why we've been killing in the name of Jesus for over a thousand years. Mm. And the thing that, that really put a splinter, if you would, <laughs> in my mind about it all was the book was talking about how naive the early Christians were mm. and that there was this whole thing called the early church before Constantine that that held just a belief that Jesus meant what he said, right. and yet later on, theologians, you know, such as Ambrose and Augustine and mm -hmm. and Aquinas and such, you know, help us to understand that um, that we're not to take those things as literally as the early Christians did. And I was like, on to this about, you know, um, 
that I want to know about this simple faith of the early church. Hmm. Um, so that was <laughs> that was good. Uh, now the Persian Gulf War, the very first one, is is starting. To, we're starting to hear about this guy named Saddam Hussein. I'm talking to my Christian friends, and I remember one I was telling them. I said, "Man, I'm I'm uncomfortable with." My secondary job was a um, uh, was an armor, and, and and I was just reading Tony Campolo's book, um, Twenty Hot, the, the 1980s version of the Twenty Hot Potatoes Christians yeah. Are Potato, uh, Afraid to Touch. Yeah. And it's changed. It's a different version now. There was an '80s version, okay. and and he was given this analogy of the um, the um, uh, what would Jesus do? And right. my job was to install a, an M203 grenade launcher on these M16s. We had four that we were supposed to do, mm-hmm. and I literally remember holding it and going, "What would Jesus do?" Yeah. And I remember thinking, uh, "It's so complicated." Mm-hmm. And so I finished the job. Yeah. It's not complicated. Right. Um, and so I started to talk to my Christian friends and going, you know, I'm, I'm just really struggling with this. And, they, and I remember one of them said, Dean, you're asking questions that shouldn't be asked. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not comfortable. Are you? He said, I'm comfortable. I said, I'm not comfortable. And um, so anyway, we, we went there and there was a, a, a little miracle that happened. There was a radical Christian guy named Paul Paval. He was living over there uh, in the Air Force, got out in, the, in Germany. And he had this radical bookstore that went out of business. He sold all the books to the local evangelical bookstore in town. And so me and Tanya, we come in and we start looking. And there's all these radical books about the early church, books from David Rousseau. We got Mennonite books. We got Anabaptist writings mm-hmm. and different things because he bought them from the, the guy bought them from this uh, radical books uh, store. And I heard about an early church and I heard that. And, and suddenly I realized that I'm not crazy, that that for 300 years, Christians thought this way. They just took the words of Jesus and simply followed it out. Mm. And that began to say, wow, this is this is what I have to do. Yeah. And so the, the Persian Gulf War is now starting to get more serious. They were realizing I'm an armor. What am I going to do with this? They, And then finally, um, something happened that there was a deadly force briefing. I remember we had and. They called us all into the room, and the first sergeant was like pointing at me, looking at me, and if something happens, you're going to have to use deadly force because they knew I was having all these, yeah. you know, non-resistant leanings. And I realized at that moment, okay, we've got to do something. Um, we wrote. I, we started uh, re, uh, also meeting with another couple, Rick and Don Shirley. They were an awesome couple there, and the four of us as young couples were like we're looking through this and getting excited. We finally wrote a letter to Harold Press. Harold Press. This is this is the 1900s. Granted, there's no email. There's no, you know, not even cell phones. You know, this is the 1900s. And so we we wrote a letter to them. They forwarded it to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania forwarded it to some counselors in Germany, and they helped us become conscious objectors. With, of course, is another whole story. Yeah. Um, but that time in our life then is it's as if. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it's as if over the words of Jesus, I felt this sense that Jesus was saying, I mean that. Mm. <laughs> I really mean that. That's yeah. the cure for humanity. And since then, and I failed miserably all the time, but since then, I'm, I've made a, a point of trying to put the words of Jesus into practice as possible, as, as much as possible by the grace of God. Mm. Man, that is a powerful testimony. Um, oh, praise the Lord. It's, it's a powerful God. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really neat how those anti-Nicene writings really confirm a simple reading of the words of Jesus. 
They do. Yeah. Amen. And it's so, it, it really does. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, as you read the, the early Christian writings, the anti-Nicene writings, um, like you see that love your enemies uh, doctrine played out just so simply. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like the most quoted verse, right? From the New Absolutely. Testament. It, yeah. Yeah. And you also see this, um, this divide, this very clear divide between the pattern uh, of this world and the pattern and the values of the kingdom of God. And yeah, so one of yeah. the things that I've heard you talk about quite a bit and, and Berceau as well is this doctrine of the two kingdoms. Would you mind uh, explaining the doctrine of the two kingdoms and how this should this teaching should affect a Christian's lifestyle? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important. You know, for me, uh, so when I was looking through the, the two kingdoms is very important. When I was going through some of the books, when I was trying to deal with the war issue and several different issues, and the war issue just was kind of the most pointed at the time. Um, some of the liberal pacifism views confuse the matter for me. Mm. I, I, I believe the word of God, every word of God, and I, and I refuse to explain away any passage in the Old Testament, any passage in the New Testament, and I, and I received them. Mm. And so I couldn't just explain away the Old Testament in some you know, strange way. And so I needed to deal with the fact that Yahweh is a warrior. Mm. And if it says it there, it still is. And, um, and to deal with these issues of, of the wrath of God and the grace of salvation and these things are, are not something that I believe that we should explain away. Mm. And so a lot of times a pacifist agenda or pacifist theology, a hermeneutic, I found that confused the matter a lot, and it kind of brought in an idea in that um, the nations are to, um, you're, we're supposed to bring in some sort of a pacifist kind of a Gandhian you know, concept, and this is kind of work. I, I, I personally think it's nonsense. Right. And that, um, and that, but two kingdom early Christian ki- concept has a place for the rulers of this world, but a very clear concept of who we are as the church, and that we are, if you could, if you use the analogy, we are embassies mm. of heaven. Right. That the church is to live out in this world, heaven on earth. It's the kingdom of God. It, and, and so we are, as John D. Martin likes to say, we are to show the whole world what the whole world should look like if it would follow the real king. Um, and so there's going to be a tension. There's going to be a dynamic of, of these two kingdoms. And there was, there was a book actually by John Howard Dealer, I think it was, who, who, who articulated in one of his books a, a concept. And although he doesn't, he's not always faithful to this, he, he messes up this, this construct a lot in some other writings. But in this book, I remember that it, somehow I got a concept of two kingdoms and like that clicked with me. Hmm. And it made since I didn't have to explain away the Old Testament, I didn't have to explain away the book of Revelation, I didn't have to explain away Romans 13, and I could walk in faith following the teachings of Jesus uh, through it all. Um, so I guess, you know, one of the, the big things is, you know, <laughs> um, non-resistance. So when you look at two kingdoms, sometimes we use the word non-resistance gets thrown in there and Again, I have several problems with his theology and his practice, um, but John Howard Yoder has a great quote um, where he said, using the term non-resistance 
is like calling marriage non-adultery. Oh no, that's amazing. And, and so, and so, in other words, the the two kingdom concept must be positive. Mm. It must be going forward uh, and not just retreating, not just you know. And that's where I think we've got ourselves in trouble with as Anabaptists and different groups. And as we start to retreat, we're not we're not living out the the, the teachings of Christ properly. Yeah. Um, Jesus and and um, and John eighteen. I think it's a powerful passage, and he says, "In Peter's talk, I mean, excuse me, uh, Pilate's talking to him. Mm-hmm. Pilate entered the Praetorium again. This is a uh, verse thirty three from John eighteen, and he called Jesus and said to them, "Are you the King of the Jews?" This is some mm. profound stuff here. And Jesus answered him, "Are you speaking for yourself about this?" Or did others tell you this concerning me? And, you know, and this is an interesting response here from Jesus because the rest of the time he's kind of quiet. Yeah. Um, but like Pilate hit on something. He's like going deep with Pilate here. Mm. Um, Pilate gets a little defensive. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, powerful stuff. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now, a lot of times what people have done with this is completely symbolize this and say, oh yeah, yeah, he's my king, he's my king, but he's not my real king. And they miss this two kingdom concept. And so did Pilate. Watch what he said, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto them, well, are you a king then? In other words, does that even count? Right. You know, I mean, does that we're talking real life here? You're talking spiritual life. Are you even a king then? And Jesus answered, Don't miss this. You say rightly that I am a king for this cause I was born. Mm. That's profound. And he yeah. goes on to say, And, and for this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also here to bring the truth. So, you know, this idea, and, and when you begin to get what I think it's been starting to be called a kingdom concept of reading the New Testament, of reading the whole Bible. Hmm. You see that from the Garden of Eden that we had a kingdom, we had a, a people. Uh, and then through this, this, this prophecy, you know, you, these incredible prophecies that were given through people like, um, uh, you know, the, the, what's the Jephthah, the... Um, With like Isaiah about the... Yeah, the Isaiah passage. I'm, I'm trying to think even in the... Um, Micah? The judge, oh, in Judges, you oh, know, okay. the, the, about the different trees and the purposes of the kingdom. And, oh, okay. And then you, you come into the, Sam, the, the, the Samuel passages about the grief that God had that they would choose a king mm. other than him. And then, but then this, 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 this pulse... Of that one day the Messiah would come, mm. and the one day, and then in that in that moment, all the uniforms of war will be rolled up and used for fire. Right. And unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Mm. Of the increase of the government, and you know, I'm messing it up. But no, there'll be no end, and there'll be no end of the increase right. of the government. Peace, there shall be no end. Right. And so, this this idea, the wonderful Counselor, mighty God. Mm. Um, this pulse of this kingdom existing uh, just goes through the prophets. And we finally we get to Jesus and he says, repent. And he's quoting the Isaiah 9 passage. Hmm. Repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. Uh, and Mark, Matthew, um, excuse me, Matthew was, and Mark was quoting the Isaiah 9 passage. Yeah. And so it's a cra- it's an incredible thing, theme. And then when you get that, then you've got this tension. It's the now and the not yet. Right. The, from, in the beginning was the kingdom in the Garden of Eden. In the end, from the rising of the sun to its going down, his name will be praised. We know that will happen. Till then, we're living in this this place where we are the seeds of the kingdom. We are ambassadors of heaven, living out the teachings of Jesus um, for humanity. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's there's lots I you know that's great when you start looking at the New Testament, the whole old, the whole Bible in that way. It just becomes thrilling. It becomes exciting. And see, where the Old Testament then, here's the point. So you get Romans 12, and again, Romans 12 is like almost a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Well, the natural question gets to be then, and this is where the two kingdom concept needs to be understood, is, well, well then what are we going to do in this interim? What do we do in the not yet part? No, what do we do mm-hmm. as now we are commanded, God came to earth, preached a sermon, gave his constitution of this way of living, now how we can live that amongst these nations in these times. And we come into Romans 13, and Romans 13 is beautiful mm. because it tells us that all authority has been given of God and that this minister of God, who at the time was probably Nero, right. this minister of God was given to us uh, from God for the executing of and, and bringing in law and order and those sorts of things. Now, we as Christians believe that, and Paul believes that, even when that same sword was cutting off Paul's neck, head, Mm. was cutting off his head. And this is the thing that usually gets confused in the two kingdoms, is as the Schleidheim Confession in 1527 brings it out, that um, that we have the ministry of reconciliation, but but God has given the governments the ministry of the sword, and it is outside of the perfection of Christ. Mm. And so we are to live as these ambassadors of heaven to give the example of this. Um, but we are to respect these authorities. We pray for these authorities. We understand these authorities. But it doesn't mean that God blesses them or he's, it, he's, that they are the will of God as people of God. They're doing the will in what was given to them. And here's an example. Let's go back to the Pilate scene. So Pilate says to Jesus, do you realize? I was like, who do you who are you talking to me? You know, do you realize I have authority to either let you go, or I have authority to get you killed? I mean, do you realize that? Mm-hmm. Jesus's reply to him is really surprising, mm-hmm. because he doesn't say, ah, "You don't have anything." You know, you're no, you're just a sinner or whatever. He says, "You would have no authority unless it was given to you by my Father." So here's an interesting point of the two kingdoms, profound point in the two kingdoms. Pilate had the authority given to him by God to kill Jesus. But that does not mean that this is this is blesses us or this is that he's walking as a child of God or that kind of a thing. And that needs to be understood. The minister of, uh, as we see in Romans 13, this is all top of my head. I'm not... Uh, um, Look at the same word, the diaconus used in Greek there, of the minister of the sword, right. um, given by God in Romans 13. The same thing is, is talked about in Jeremiah um, 25, 26 there, where we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, mm. and that God is bringing him, my servant, mm-hmm. the Greek would be my diaconos, my servant against Judah. He's bringing them. But then he says, after the 70 years are complete and he's done this work, 
um, then I will bring judgment against this nation because of their pride and because of their you know abominations and that type of a thing. Hmm. And it's again the perfect example. Um, really good one is in Isaiah chapter ten. In Isaiah chapter ten, um, um, we have the passage there. Let me let me get it up here. Yeah. The the the. The point people will say sometimes, well, I mean, did you don't can't, do you believe that God used America to stop Hitler to right. stop? Yeah, I do. Exactly. Yeah. I really do. Uh, and God governs this earth, uh, but that, that but we must be careful to understand the two kingdoms. Here in Isaiah chapter ten, um, again, we use the same language, and it says, uh, and this one's really important. I, I didn't actually even get this in my book. I'm gonna if I'm gonna revise it, I'm gonna get this scripture in because it's so important. Mm. Um, in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger. So he's using them as his rod, his minister, his servant, if you would. Right. And the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Hmm. I wind him against a hip- hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. Will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey? and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Again, this is a judgment Mm. on God's own people. But here's a point that you can't miss in verse 7. How be it, he meaneth not so. I mean, in other words, sorry, it's King James here. He doesn't know what he's doing. Neither does his heart think so. Mm. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. And so he's saying that I'm going to use the, the king of Assyrians to accomplish a purpose that I have here on earth. But in the mind of the king of the Syrians, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. And their mind, they're just going to war and they're cutting off a nation, not a few. And, um, and so, but then the judgment comes and look at verse uh, uh, 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Mm. For he saith, by the strength of mine own hands I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. Mm. (laughs) That's a really important point to get two kingdoms and to get the old testament to get to understand politics today um it's a really important point um peter Riddeman brings out a, makes a, a real in his uh, one of the earliest anabaptist writings on um explaining the two kingdoms against the reformers in his day when they were getting persecuted mm-hmm. and he says that when we look at the, the the kingdoms of this world they're a constant reminder to us of the wrath of god mm-hmm. and how god and then he you know goes on to say that about how god govern will keep order and govern this earth with the sword quoting this passage from from hosea 13:9 o israel you are destroyed but your help is from me, Hosea chapter 13, 9. I will be your king, where is any other, that he may save you in all your cities, and your judges to whom you said, give me a king and princess. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. This is, a, again, a very important passage to understand the two kingdoms. God will govern the earth. 
he will give us kings, but it's a rebuke, the Garden of Eden. There was two trees in the Garden of Eden. One is we live by the grace of God, the fruit of the tree, um, and motivated and ruled by grace and love. The other is the knowledge of good and evil and living by law and by fear of the law and those kind of things. Mm. Um, As we go forward, God still governs, but now this beautiful and wonderful thing of being part of the kingdom of God Yahweh, remember, is still a warrior, but the orders, the marching orders of how we do battle is now the cross, and we are led as lambs to the slaughter. We are to live in the life of being Christians and living out the the commands and the marching orders that Jesus Christ gave us in the Sermon on the Mount, and it will work. If we believe him and trust him, I believe that his ways really are the answer for humanity. Mm, yeah, that reminds me of, uh, I believe it's Justin Martyr when he's writing it in his apologies as like, the more we are mown down by you, the more we grow in number. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Amen. That's it. Yes. <laughs>